Well, greetings, Parkview Church. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to be here opening God's Word with you. Uh, we are continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, and we're specifically looking at the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And uh, remember, before we jump into exploring the Seventh Commandment and all that it shows to us about God's good and loving design for human sexuality and marriage, remember what we've kind of learned basically about the Ten Commandments. We've learned, well, I guess what I would call kind of the gospel dance. Okay? We are rescued by grace so that we would obey and love. Rescued by grace, dance step one, number one, and then we obey and love. If we forget that, what happens is the law becomes a crushing burden that only exists to reveal to us our fallenness, our shame, where we fail, etc. But if we get the gospel clear that only through the finished work of Jesus Christ that Jesus and Jesus alone has been the only human to actually live out the Ten Commandments and how they were designed to be lived out in both fullness of love for God from the heart, expressed in outward righteousness, and then love for neighbor, that only Jesus Christ obeys, and he does that out of love for you. Because he knows the human heart. That out of the heart comes sexual immorality and greed and hatred and animosity and division and racism, etc., etc. All that stuff comes out of the human heart. And only Jesus Christ has the solution, which is his perfect obedience to the Father, to the law, and then his death on the cross on our behalf where he bears the judgment and curse for our sin upon himself so that we might be set free in newness of life filled with his spirit for obedience. That is the way the Christian life works. It's salvation by grace, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, and then obedience and love. Jesus makes it very clear, John 15, if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. Obedience is not a second level thing, it's not an optional extra to the Christian life, it is the Christian life, but it's an obedience out of love for Jesus Christ in light of what he has done. We need to make it very clear every time we approach God's law. And so remember what's happening as we look at each one of these commands. They're like a pair of binoculars, okay? That we might say there's the negative, most of them, right, are negative commands. You shall not, you must not do this. But if you take, pick up the command, so to speak, like a pair of binoculars and put them on, or a pair of glasses, we see through the command into a panorama of beautiful design for what God has in that particular command. Here's what I mean. Last week we saw, right, you shall not murder. But if you flip the command and kind of put it on as a pair of binoculars, we see actually this command is giving to us a whole vision for God's heart of life, that God cherishes and celebrates and creates life, and therefore as his image bearers, we ought to celebrate and cherish life as God does in all of the manifold ways that entails. And the same goes for the seventh command. Yes, it is a command against adultery, against the act of betrayal of a covenant vow by sexual experience or expression with someone who is not your spouse. Yes, it condemns that outright. But Jesus takes the, the seventh command in Matthew 5 and he deepens it and applies it to the human heart that not only is God saying no to adultery, he's also saying no, according to Jesus, to whoever looks at a woman 
with lustful intent, they've already committed adultery with her in his hearts. So God has clear boundaries for us in his words in terms of where it is God honoring to enjoy sexual pleasure only in the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. But, that's the negative, but if we put that, that command on, as we will, we're going to look out on the great vision God has, the grand, beautiful design that God has for human sexuality and what he has called all of us to be as image bearers to live faithfully to him. And yet, here's, here's the word of loving pastoral thoughtfulness. Is that as we look at the seventh command, most likely for all of us, or at least for most of us here, we feel the breaking and the shattering of this command probably most in our life compared to all the other commands. I'm not saying that is what's happening. All the other commands are just as deeply you know, sinful and uh, can, can cause such harm in life. But there's something unique about our sexuality that when our sexuality goes wrong, the amount of shame and regret and haunting sadness and discouragement that can linger over the human heart there's something unique to it. And so I know that in my own life, I cannot count how many times I have talked to a wiser, godlier man, basically about, can you please help me? I want to live faithfully to Jesus, but I've got broken, twisted desires in me, and I want to be honoring and loving and cherishing of Claire, my wife, and yet that is complex as two sinners come together. Will you help me? I feel like for so many ways, this command in my life has been a pathway of deep humbling, of deep kind of openness to the Lord, where I have needed his grace and the mercy of the finished work of Jesus Christ over and over again. And I'm assuming I am not alone as we look at this and explore this together. And not only is it very personal to us, but there's something that's happening in our culture. Culturally, sexuality has become very confusing um, because of several factors. Uh, but what's happening is in our contemporary Western culture, God's design for human sexuality as outlined in Scripture, as upheld by the Lord Jesus, as carried on throughout the whole New Testament up until Revelation... What's happening is in our contemporary Western culture, this is being repudiated as something good. In fact, it's seen as something very oppressive. And what's happening is because the way we think of ourselves, who we are in our identity, has become so inward focused. We used to think of ourselves as who I am in light of all my relationships and duties externally to me. Okay, But in the modern era, human beings think of ourselves primarily through our own inward desires. And especially what's happened, in many ways because of Freud and all of his influences, is that we think that sexual desire and sexual expression is the vital core of what it means to be a human. And therefore, Christianity's sexual ethic is seen as an, an oppression to authentic human living. Yet what we have to come to again and again 
is God's word and also just what the sociological sciences are showing. One wonderful, helpful book called The End of Sex by Donna Freitas, or Freitas, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her last name. It reveals, she did like kind of the survey of uh, university campuses, the hookup culture on university campus, okay? If we think of kind of what's the mecca of what should be the fullness of expression of human sexuality, it's probably what's happening on, on university campuses today. And what she has discovered, and others have, have seen this in different reports, is that the modern Western understanding of sexuality, especially of hookup culture, of just it's all about pursuing your own happiness by enjoying sexual pleasure with whoever you want, that actually is only leading to further sexual disappointment and general psychological unhappiness. Okay, that's just one study. There's more than that. But here's what I'm trying to say. I have a lawnmower at home. Okay, lawnmower is wonderful and so very helpful when it's mowing grass. The moment I decide that my lawnmower should be my hair trimmer, I've got serious problems because it's no longer using it according to its design. And what we're seeing in our culture is increasing confusion, depression, and just kind of a mental fogginess over human sexuality because we've no longer received God's design for human sexuality as wise and good and loving. So before we jump into exploring this, we have to get help. We have to pray. And I'm going to pray for just a bit here. And I'm also going to pause the end of this prayer. I'm going to let you pray personally before the Lord that he would just teach you something. He would provide for you wisdom and help and health and a path forward in the midst of this topic that is fraught with so many dangers and difficulties and shame for so many of us, okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you aware of our deep need for Christ, your son, and as we think about marriage and sexuality, where would each of us be without the continuing, non-stopping, never-giving-up love and mercy of Jesus Christ, your son? So by the Holy Spirit's power, I pray that you would astonish us again, refresh us again, open our eyes again to the endless forgiveness of Jesus Christ for repeated sexual failures like us. And refresh us again with your clear teaching in your word of what you call us to in obedience and the very resources that we have right now through the Holy Spirit to actually obey you. You offer us sexual sanity in a world and with hearts filled with sexual insanity. We need help, and you've given it to us in your word, so would you please help us by your spirit listen, receive, and obey. And so pray right now to the Lord that you just would open yourself up to him afresh, asking for his wisdom and love to teach you today. Father, I pray that I would come with both the conviction and compassion of Jesus Christ 
I would be a servant first to you and to your word. Secondly, to these people, that I would come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I pray this for Jesus' glory and our good. Amen. So we need help. We need deep help. And the Lord has provided that for us in the seventh commandment, in his word. And again, it's going to be kind of, we're going to look through the seventh commandment at a vision of God's design for human sexuality and marriage. We look at three things here, three parts of the seventh commandment. Okay, First, what it shows us about who God is. Second, what it shows us about who we are. We are wandering and wounded. And then third, God's restoration plan, how God restores us. So first, what does this commandment show us about who God is? Second, who we are, wandering and wounded, and how God restores us is the third point. So first, who is God? Remember, the law in Scripture is given to God's people to teach us about who he is. The law, we might say, is kind of an inscription, a putting forth of God's character into the world. It's showing his people what he loves and values and cherishes. And in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This shows us something so wonderful and breathtaking about the Lord. That he is a God of covenant. A God of covenant, of passionate faithful, promising love for his people. That is who God is at his very heart. And over and over again, throughout the story of Scripture, especially in the New Old Testament, the Bible likens God to a faithful husband or bridegroom who remains wholeheartedly, passionately, faithfully committed to his promise of caring and nurturing and loving his people. It's seen in the book of Hosea, especially in parts of the prophet of Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel. In Isaiah 54, one of the uh, core sections of the entire scripture, that portion of Isaiah 54, God says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And so this is who God is as, as a maker, as husband, as faithful covenant lover to his people. And remember then what happens in Genesis 1 to 2, this God creates male and female in his image, meaning we as humans made in the image of God are meant to reflect his character. Now there is love in friendship between two men or two women, there's love in parenting between child and parent, but in Genesis 1 and 2, especially chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2, God creates marriage between one man and one woman as a unique signpost for what he is like. That he is a faithful, passionate God who loves across difference, as Rebecca McLaughlin calls it. The marital covenant sexual love between a man and a woman in marriage is to be a picture of God's own character a living parable of his faithful, passionate love for his people. The final verses of Genesis 2 say it this way, A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now this vision, this kind of core principle of marriage in Genesis 2 is carried through the entire story of Scripture. Uh, in, Gen uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus himself affirms God's good design, quoting Genesis 2, saying male and female become one flesh. And then he states the permanence of this relationship. What God has joined together, 
Let not man separate. So Jesus affirms God's original design of one man, one woman in marriage. That is the only context of God ordaining, God-pleasing sexual activity and expression. Then Ephesians 5 the Apostle Paul picks up not just Jesus, but also the whole of Scripture, and he says that marriage is a mysterious reflection of Christ's love for the church. Christ, the God-man, loving his frail and faltering church. And again, we see the theme that according to the whole Bible, marriage is given by God to be a picture of his faithful, permanent, lifelong love across the difference, as Rebecca McLaughlin Author Rebecca McLaughlin says it, okay? Meaning this, because the man and woman are two different genders, yet united together in one flesh sexual union, this alone is able to express something unique about God that one man and one, wo one man could not and one woman and one woman sexual activity could not. There is something unique about the marriage covenant between one man and one woman that speaks something unique about the greatness and wonder and beauty of our Lord. God's original intent is for his passionate, faithful love across difference for his people to be displayed into the world, and that can only happen through a one man, one woman, covenant marriage, lifelong. Now, a short point, short, short point of application here, right at the beginning of God's design for marriage, okay, especially for those of us here who are struggling in marriage. Marriage for us doesn't feel like the beauty God had intended it. Or sexual intimacy in marriage is not what we had thought it would be. There's some pretty significant disappointment there. Okay? And I'm not talking here about cases of abuse or sexual unfaithfulness. Now, both of those are allowable grounds for separation and divorce. See Matthew 5, see Matthew 19 where Jesus emphasizes that. And both of those type, the abuse and sexual unfaithfulness, both of these type of situations need the loving oversight and care of integrity leaders of the Church of Christ to oversee those situations. Okay? I'm not talking about that. That's a, that's a different situation. What I'm talking about is just the normal problems or the consistent problems that can happen when one sinner married to another sinner seeks to live together in faithfulness to God's design. And how Jesus says it in Matthew 19 is that what God has joined together, let not humans separate. According to Jesus Christ, friend, your marriage is not a mistake. Your marriage is designed by the Lord of glory. No matter how difficult and challenging it is right now, your marriage is designed by the Lord of glory above to display his beauty here on earth he loves you and your spouse and he has brought you together what god has joined together the lord jesus christ says to you today what god has joined together let not humans separate so please refuse to listen to the lies of culture and of your own indwelling remaining sin that's telling you it's time to throw in the towel. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. Maybe this is not worth it. Maybe something at some point we got off track. This is not... All of those things that are swirling in your mind, let the truth of God's word 
that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined one flesh with his wife. And Jesus says, God has joined you together. It's God's act. Therefore, blessed by him. Therefore, not separate. Now, this is God's good design for you. And, and here's the thing, right? If this is you, that's why we live in community and friendship and we have pastors and wonderful elders like Len Brooks who can help and walk alongside you and care for you. And so here we are understanding the biblical foundation. God's commandment shows us his character, that he is the faithful, loving, permanent God of covenant, and that he's for us and loving us and caring for us. And that is why sexual sin in any form is so horrendous, because it's an exact antithesis to God's character. Every time we participate in sexual sin, we are telling a lie about God. That God is not faithful. That God is not true to his word. That God is not a God of self-control. That God is not the God who comes to lovingly serve and bless others, not use and abuse others. That's why sexual sin grieves the heart of our Lord. And it's at this very point we learn the second point that who we are we have wandered haven't we all of us have we are all sexual failures in one form or another and not only have we wandered but we have been wounded people who have foolishly disregarded the seventh commandment have abused us misused us and shamed us we are the walking Wandering and wounded. Are we not? The ways that sex, sin, has so corrupted our sexuality, as Christian psychologist David Pallison shows, is in these two ways. Wandering and woundedness. We often wander from God's clear teaching in his word, therefore receiving the haunting regret of something that we did, uh, you know, three years ago, and it still hangs over our head. Others of us, the... The wandering of a constant battle with desires you know you shouldn't have, you do have. And oftentimes participating in those desires and following them instead of following the clear teaching of our Lord. The fantasy of a co about a co-worker, the evaluation of other people's body types. And kind of if they stir you to your own physical appetite. Wandering online, sexual exploit. We could talk about pornography in its own sermon. Or the wandering on Netflix, watching shows you know are going to have stuff you shouldn't be watching. You click on anyways, you keep watching it. And then two weeks later, you return again to the same show because you want to see those scenes over again. We wander. And they could go on and on. We forsake God's wisdom and his good design. But when we also are the wounded. We have been betrayed by people who have refused the wisdom of the seventh commandment. Wicked abuse by a spouse, a haunting assault years ago that from that point forward has always infected your experience of sexual intimacy. The shame of dealing with a spouse who's currently addicted to pornography. The betrayal of a spouse because they refused God's covenant in marriage and thought it'd be way more fun to do something else than that. The list could go on and on. And if this is you right now, and you are in this place of 
abuse or betrayal, please know the leaders at Parkview Church would love nothing more than to walk with you and to help you. Your place of abuse is not a place where Jesus wants you to languish and suffer. Jesus Christ himself knows what it is to have his body abused. He knows what it is to hear words against him. And Jesus wants your joy and he wants justice and integrity for your abuser. And so would you please reach out to us if this is you. But Parkview, God's design in creation is like a beautiful quilt. It is designed in all of its beauty to be a place of warmth and joy and safety. And yet for so many of us, it has become a place of kind of a muddy, ripped up, stained fabric of shame and regret, the wandering and the wounded. What, what do we need? You and me wandering from God's clear and beautiful design for human sexuality. You and me wounded by people who have refused that wisdom. What do we need most? We need Jesus Christ. Remember what I said earlier that God in the Old Testament speaks of himself as a husband or a bridegroom. And throughout the whole of Scripture, time and time again, we see that the great tragedy of Scripture is that God's people are walking around as the wandering and the wounded people. In fact, what you, one of the threads you'll see in Scripture is that the kind of the human forsaking of a marriage covenant is always linked to the divine forsaking of us forsaking covenant faithfulness to God. That idolatry, our refusal to worship God as God, always leads to, is kind of the, the, the result of the human unfaithfulness to the covenant. And yet something astonishing appears throughout the whole Old Testament is God's continued revelation of himself as a faithful husband and lover who is pursuing his wayward people. Hosea 2 says it like this, Behold, I will allure my people. I will speak tenderly to her. In that day, in that day you will call me my husband. In the midst of a wandering and wounded people, God proclaims a promise that there is coming a day where he as faithful husband will come to redeem and to restore. And isn't it wonderful? Have you ever noticed this? That on the lips of Jesus of Nazareth, one of the ways he describes himself is what? As a bridegroom. As a bridegroom. In Luke 5, Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. And in Luke 7, as a notorious, notorious woman of the city, most scholars believe she was a well-known adulterer in the town. Here comes this adulterer walking into the presence of Jesus Christ. And what does he do but welcome, forgive, and embrace her? Jesus, the bridegroom, walks around loving the wandering and healing the wounded. That is the heart of Jesus Christ, the faithful bridegroom. Coming to us, drawing us nearer to himself. Our very sin, our very places of shame are the very things that attract him to us in love and forgiveness and mercy. Not in disgust and shame, but in forgiveness and wholeness and restoration. And how does he do this exactly? Jesus Christ 
restores sexually wandering and wounded people by he himself wandering toward a cross. And the cross is the place of wounding where Jesus Christ takes upon himself while him not himself sinning, him becoming sin for us, meaning him bearing the curse for our sin, him bearing upon himself all of our woundings of sexual insanity, bearing it upon himself in death and rising again to new life where he comes to restore any and every person here today who would come to him saying, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, forgive me. That is a call to every single one of us. 1 Corinthians 6 says it like this, Or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus, the faithful bridegroom, takes our wandering and wounding into himself, into his body, so that we can belong to him. So that we can finally be in the place of love and protection and safety and healing in a way we simply cannot find anywhere else. The Lord Jesus comes with his healing love, his forgiving love to you today. And he promises you a commitment to you that he will restore you now, yes, but finally in the future where he makes all things new. He will wipe away all of the tears you've cried because of your sexual shame. Jesus Christ himself will do that. He will restore your body in the very places where you've been most harmed. Jesus Christ himself will do that. He has taken away your sin, the penalty of it now. He will eradicate the presence of sin in the future. And right now, every day, day by day, and I know, I know for some of us here, it feels like we're lying on the ground and all we can do is that just look at Jesus. That it feels like we're making no forward progress. But the promise is this, that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ resides in you and that he's working in you what he began to do in you, he will bring it to completion. It is a promise of his word. And so what you must do, struggling brother or sister, is to never, ever throw in the towel in your battle against sexual sin and temptation, but to again and again come back to Jesus Christ, who delights in and enjoys forgiving you despite what you feel like, he just can become more and more disgusted. That's what the gospel is all about, is consistent and constant forgiveness for repeated sexual failures like you and me and constant and continued healing in the context of a faithful, sexually integ integrity community of the local church where leaders do not prey on men and women but sacrifice themselves in holy self-control to raise up young men and women to know Jesus Christ and his love for them. That is the purpose and plan of Jesus Christ for us as a church. And that is his purpose and plan for you if you are here today struggling with whatever is going on in your life, the main thing you must never do is give up. Keep taking a step forward. 
Keep moving forward toward Jesus Christ. He forgives you. And yes, He's given you His Holy Spirit. You right now are looking more and more like Jesus Christ because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Jesus has given you His very best resource. His Holy Spirit. Friends, He will complete the work He has begun in you. I know right now. You feel like such a fraud and such a failure. But that is who Jesus loves. So if you're here right now and you're not yet a Christian, you've not yet... Would you bring all of your sexual sin to Jesus Christ... Let him take it on that cross, throwing it far away from you forever. And let him love you to wholeness and joy and beauty again. The final application I will make is simply this. Here's a book, a marvelously helpful book, Making All Things New by a guy named David Pallison. It's the most helpful book on uh, Christian sexuality I've ever re read. No matter where you are at, on the spectrum of wandering or wounded. My encouragement is this. Could you pick up a copy of Making All Things New and find one person at Parkview Church and you guys meet once a week, very short chapters, and just read it and honestly allow that other person to understand where is the battle for you in this struggle or where is the wounding in particular? And through a helpful gospel book like this in the presence of a friend and the constant focus on Jesus Christ, I wonder if the Lord might bring into your life further restoration and help and beauty in an area that for all of us has been so broken and ravaged by sin and Satan. Dear friends, you are loved by Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what type of sinner he was saving when he rescued you from sin all those years ago. He will never give up on you, so never give up on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit to take whatever is true from your word and whatever is good from your gospel and plant it deep in our hearts by your Holy Spirit no matter where anyone is at today, would you help us take one solid step towards sanity and restoration and joy? This can only happen through Jesus Christ. This can only happen through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, pour out your power and comfort. Comfort us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.